0: well good morning good afternoon good evening and welcome to 2023 depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in this is Perrin desports and i'm your host for the group practice accelerator podcast from polaris healthcare partners if you're an entrepreneurial dentist or other healthcare professional and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Welcome, everybody, to season three, episode two of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. We're talking rising rates and five-year horizons today. And to cover all that, you know who I'm bringing back behind the microphone. That's right, my partner DeWalker Sinha is gonna join me again on the show today. This is gonna be an interesting discussion of groups large and small, and how to think about potential exit processes as well as rising rates and a whole lot of other stuff. So get your pad and pen ready brew another cup of that wonderful Mila coffee. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Thanks, everybody, once again, for joining us on the show today. I am Perrin Desports, and I am your host. And as I teased in the introduction, I am joined by my co-founding partner here at Polaris, DeWalker Senha. DeWalker, you want to say hello to everybody?
1: Hi, everyone. Nice to have uh, everyone join us today and hope everyone had a good holiday.
0: And just to be clear, he's not joining us from India where there is a time delay going across the ocean. He is with us in Charlotte. Today is going to be a fun episode uh, and one that we've kind of been holding back some of our own dry powder, if you will, in terms of subject matter, at least. This is a, a, an interesting scenario that we find ourselves in. And um I think you and I, DeWalker, have been looking forward to to having this particular topic to bat around on the show today, and I think our our audience is going to enjoy it. So there are a number of things uh, going on. We're going to cover a lot of different subjects today. Let's start with this whole rising rate environment, all right, and specifically capital markets. Um, We want to talk about rising rates. Uh, the impact on balance sheets, uh, and maybe how that impacts the exit strategy or growth strategy for larger DSOs in our world. Obviously, when um, DSOs are are in a growth mode, uh, meaning they're acquiring practices, they're borrowing a lot of money, They're buying a lot of practices, they're integrating a lot of practices, and they're doing that, as we all know, because their intent is to recap at some point in the future. When the rates start rising, it impacts their ability to exit, which downstream, if they're not exiting, there's not a top end of the valuation multiple scale that's established that flows down through the, the industry overall. Uh, So that's one piece of it. But there's also the potential delay uh, in exit at a strategic level due to rising rates, and that may push more um, acquisition activity by some of the larger groups. So a lot to unpack there. I I covered like four different points all in one topic. Let me uh, yield a microphone to you and let you take a rip at it uh, and sort of Put a bow around this rising rate enterprise level DSO exit acquisition conundrum.
1: Uh, Sure. Uh, So I think um, we're trying not to go into more of our capital segment that's going to happen in February. So uh, you know, as your audience members are thinking about what capital structures look like in 2023, I would uh, stay tuned for our podcast series in uh, uh, in February. Uh, But, I mean, here's a sneak preview into what's happening into the capital markets for sponsor finance um, and what's happening for lenders across the market. So as uh, you guys may have heard the term called securitization um, from our 2008 to 2010 uh, financial market crisis that we went through and essentially for uh, our newer audience members that – uh, that may not have heard the word securitization in our previous podcast or are not aware of it securitization is when a a lending institution that could be a bank or non-bank lender um, essentially onboards a uh, volume of loans 50 million 100 million 500 million dollars um, you know classifies the risk rating on it through either an internal or external party on an insurance rating or a uh, just a bank rating. Um, of that portfolio, and then we'll sell it on the secondary market um, and recapitalize their cash and balance sheet. And that's securitization in itself. Um, And that's very common in the space. And that's been happening for a very, very long time. Uh, What is happening is banks in 2020 to 2022 are making loans and they onboarded loans uh, rates anywhere from two and a half three percent to let's say max five percent and many of our audience members were recipients of that product and if they try to unload that in a rising rate markets banks want to unload it right because i can recapitalize my balance sheet (laughs) excuse me and uh, you know um, uh, now uh, acquire paper at five six seven ten percent depending on the industry vertical we're in and what's happening across different institutions and there is a balance sheet issue uh, not the balance sheet issues so I don't want to ring any alarm bells of what was happening in 2008 or 9 is that you know uh, bank and non-bank lenders that onboarded 100 200 million 500 million dollars in paper at a lower cost of capital are trying to unload that uh, you know, either do a present value or yield spread on that paper are not able to unload that paper on the secondary market. Now, what does that mean? Um, nothing more than beyond that, they, they still have a capital position or cash position that's uh, available, yet in those larger middle market or uh, institutional transactions, the those institutional lenders um, might be looking for a little more equity from their sponsors or private equity groups in the deal. And what that means is, let's say typically, on a deal that was trading at six x or seven x, whatever that um, subjective uh, m- multiple was, you know, a private equity firm might put in ten to twenty percent equity on that deal, thirty um, percent equity in the deal, depending on their agreements and covenants, and the other seventy to eighty percent was bank leveraged, right? And and that's great. And but as we're going into this uh, rising rate market and we have this balance sheet issue. Uh, More and more banks are probably now starting to say, well, I know in 2022, we looked at having to put 10 to 20% equity into deals. And by the way, that's pretty standard. So it's nothing, it's just back in economics for institutions. Uh, Well, moving forward, now we need to start looking at 30 to 40% equity on deals. Um, And that's going to require private equity firms to put more equity into the deals. That is going to cause some level of pricing compression.
0: Okay, so as it relates to that top end of the market, what do we think? And I don't want to get like too much into prognostication here, but let's let's just do some what-if type stuff. Um, so, in a rising rate environment, let's talk about a normal recap cycle for an enterprise-level DSO because. Whether we like it or not, you know, when those when the big boys recap, it kind of it sets the market, for lack of a better term, in terms of valuation multiples and and potentially some trends. Uh, and when things get more elongated or drawn out, it can have ripple effects downstream. And we we all kind of live at the end of the whip of that. So what what's the thought process around I don't know what a normal year would be in terms of you know, enterprise level recaps um between private equity groups, but let's let's just say that you know it's it was set up to be a normal year. Uh, and now, with rates rise seemingly continuously rising the way that they're forecasted to, what might be the impact upon uh, a recap cycle cycle at the top end of the food chain, we think?
1: Um. So I again, I don't have a crystal ball beyond that. You know, if you start just start looking at economics and play, you know, if you had a company that was you know seventy-five to one hundred and fifty million dollars in EBITDA, um, and let's just say theoretically that company was going to transact at fourteen x, um, you know, you know, and somebody was deploying you know seventy cents you know on the capital on that transaction or let's 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 say 70 cents in the um uh, uh, uh capital on that transaction you know the the, the value of that business is you know uh, um going to be just around 1.8 million um does that my math sound right um uh, no 2.1 point, 1, two, two point <laughs> uh, just about just over 2.2.1 uh, uh, billion and so in that case, if you have to put 70% cash on that, you're roughly, or or, or lever, uh, leverage out of your 1.4, and your equity into the deal is roughly about $600 million. And I'm moving forward, and this, of course, some of those aspects are rollover equity, a lot of minutiae in that. Um, if that was traditionally 70% or uh, uh, levered, if now the institutions are saying now they're 50% levered, you know, the buyer upstream now has to put up Fifty cents on the dollar in equity on the deal, so they have two choices. You know, looking at their own balance sheet, they either move forward with the trade as is, restructure the deal um, to allow for a less uh, uh, a lower leverage position, or uh, there's a pricing compression. And if the expectations are 14x, which is just about 2.1 billion, you know, they might say, "Hey, you know, at that level, we're we're comfortable at a 12x." And when that happens, I'm not saying that would happen unnecessarily in, in all cases. You know, if I'm if I'm a 150 million dollar EBITDA DSO, if I'm going to put pause in my process and wait till the pricing conditions uh, plateau and come down, um, because you know that's one aspect of the decision tree process, right? How much leverage can I get? How much equity do I have to put in? The other aspect is also from a buyer's lens. You know, I, you know, uh, was going to be borrowing that, you know, a billion four, now a billion dollars, a billion two, at a, you know, uh, three to four percent cost of capital, and now I'm borrowing that cost of capital is at seven, eight, nine percent. Let's call it eight uh, percent, and before they were four percent, just to keep math simple. So uh, their initial, uh, you know, cost of capital, just in that initial investment was going to be, you know, forty million dollars per year. And now their cost of capital ends up being $80 million per year. That's going to impact um, the you know the carrying cost. So if these the, the bigger groups are doing, you know, uh, like a DCF model or discounted cash flow model to understand their rate of return moving forward. Um, you know, there's gonna be some level of concerns around it. No, it's not, it's no, the world's not collapsing. I'm just kind of giving understanding what a macro picture looks like. So as that happens, you know, you know, pricing there's going to be pricing conser- concerns in a traditional model. Now, what we're able to do, so the question is, you know, how is Polaris able to navigate that market? right? Well, what we're able to do is to look at how the capital structures or the uh, entity structures are of different groups out there in the market. And we have many groups we work with. And there are some companies that structure a deal in a way that allows them to leverage more capital. And because they're allowed to leverage more capital, I think in 2023, some of these firms will continue to provide good valuation or premium valuation in the space, even though the cost of capital has gone up uh, because of how they're structured in the company. And if you guys have followed our podcast all of 2022, we we focus on structure significantly. And I think those conversations, those details that we look at where the equity lives and how the equity is structured at those uh, uh, sub DS or DSO's levels and which companies it's structured with is going to be very meaningful going into 2023 and what the valuations look like.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a point. Um... Now that I'm just kind of, I hate it when I talk out loud on the podcast, you know, (laughs) because we should be more structured than this. But I I do think um, it's a it's a worthy point to consider and maybe just want to hammer home for a second here that, um, you know, there it's really it's really easy to be an advisor in an advisory role when the market's on an upturn. I mean, my God, the last what year and a half, two years. How many people do we see enter the residential real estate brokerage market? Like everybody became a real estate broker because the housing market was through the roof? Well, a lot of them are encountering some pretty lean times right now, right? So it's it's really not too dissimilar in our world, a lot more complicated, obviously. but it's it's easier for sell side advisors to to thump their chest and and be a bit braggadocious when the market's on an upswing. When the market starts to stall, go sideways, or you really have to understand what your client's interested in and really do a better job of matchmaking, it is truly about the structure of the deal, not just a price that somebody's throwing around. And and I think that's incredibly important to hammer home because 2023 is going to be a great year for a number of people who, who are going to end up exiting their businesses. I mean, regardless of the cost of capital, and the, some of the things we started to hammer home. Because let's re- let's also remember that you you mentioned pricing compression. Well, the way a private equity fund is constituted, those fund managers have to return invested capital from their limited partners, their investors. Um, and when they do, there's there's all but an agreed upon threshold of returning that. Now, if there's anything above it left over, that's where the fund managers can make a lot of money, but they got to return the capital at some agreed upon rate to their investors. If there's pricing compression and there's not enough spread to, to return that invested capital and make money for themselves, what do they do? Well, they push pause on the exit double down on the expansion and focus once again on growing the business and voila, we're back into uh, a a pretty, uh, it could, I don't want to say frothy like 2021, but uh, an advantageous uh, market for exit and acquisition on both sides. So everybody, or too many people, maybe not everybody, too many people are thinking that in a rising rate environment, all m and a activity stops and we go pencils down. Uh, that is the furthest thing from the truth and is absolutely not the way we are looking at the markets for this year and even the year after that. Um, so let's let's kind of use that as a bumpy transition to Walker into you know, talking talking more directly to our target market, the entrepreneurs that are building group practices with bank funds. and while not all of our clients are interested in exit anytime soon, there are a number of them that are, you know, in the I don't know, two to five years out maybe window based on some uh, number that they have in mind or projected number uh, upon exit. Uh, let's talk about maybe how the market unfolds for some of them a- and really starting to understand time frames and somebody's uh, exit expectations uh, as it relates to 2023 or even slightly beyond you want to you want to take that one for us
1: yeah i think you know when uh, so, so number one, whenever you're looking to have an exit we always want to kind of go back to our foundational question we ask all of our prospective clients and clients is are you ready for a partner so I think you have to kind of answer that. And, and if you don't know what that means, you know, you know, call us and we're happy to educate you on what they may look like in the different journeys that may be out there, either with a strategic or financial uh, 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 partner. And, and we will discuss those things at a later episode as well. But I, I think it comes down to, for most uh, of our audience members, uh, initially that answer might be economic based. So the question is, you know, they might be saying, well... You know our business today is worth, um, you know, five million dollars or ten million dollars or twenty-five million dollars. You know, and my goal was to exit in five years because I felt my company was going to be worth forty million dollars. And you might have done a, you know, um, uh, you know, economic value and realized, okay, over the next three to five years, not only my my company going to be worth forty million dollars in five years, but we also have a cash position consideration for as distributions or as a guaranteed payments as a shareholder. Our goal is to kind of help understand that and uh, navigate and say, okay, is there a partner out there that can help you get to the same or greater outcome than the goal you had? Assuming you're ready to have a partner. I think that's the number one thing that comes down to. And I think our the way we structure our deals and how we're able to and um, you know, you know, you know, put our clients in their best position allows them to, you know, in, in most cases, I'm not going to say all cases, in most cases, um, you know, performer-wise should be at the same position in three to five years versus running their own business, depending on where the business is. Assuming we have a healthy business, two to five million dollars in EBITDA, good trend, rent, trend rates of growth, things like that.
0: Yeah, I, it's a similar... Um train a thought around this to what we sometimes what we talk about in our associate equity podcasts and there uh, there are a lot of those over the last hundred episodes or however many we've recorded and probably a lot of people in this audience have have heard me um, utter the phrase either on the podcast or from the stage you know, would would you rather be a hundred percent owner of a business valued at two million dollars or an eighty percent owner of a business valued at 10 million dollars? And owning a slightly smaller piece of a much larger pie is is the point we're trying to drive home in the associate equity context, right? Because that creates you know, minority owners, enterprise level stability, growth, et cetera, et cetera. It's the same kind of value proposition when you think about exit strategy. people are are thinking about their their total exit number in terms of dollar value, and they're they're all but hung up on the way that it has to be structured based on their grow, their personal um, uh, independent growth journey of the next couple of years that's you know all but the the 100% of a business valued at 2 million dollars argument. Well, if you could find the right partner, if you're ready for one to your point, if you can find the right partner uh who you have confidence in their ability to execute and maybe you take a smaller piece of a slightly larger pie that has much greater growth prospects uh and a track record of proven performance obviously. And you get there by owning less than 100% of the business, but you still get to your same economic outcome with some greater degree of certainty uh, and potentially even in a a shorter time frame. Would you do it if it yielded the same number? And. I think those that aren't wedded to the journey for the next couple of years, the answer would be yes. And there's some people that just love the business building aspect, and and those probably are not ready for a partner. I get it. There's nothing wrong with that. We 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 have an entire consulting arm of our business that focuses on that. You know, so we can help those people too. But I think for those that are that are seeing some of what's happened in the M and A markets um, over the last, you know, twelve to Fifteen months, maybe something like that. Twelve to eighteen months, even. Um, you know, I think we're we're looking at a different scenario now, where if you've built a really solid business right now, and yeah, it's always going to have opportunities for continued growth, but you kind of owe it to yourself to to try to gain some objectivity around it and pump the brakes to say, okay, let me revisit what my number is, and and let's also take a second to figure out based on what that number is in a rough time frame what are the different paths to get to that number one is i'm not ready for a partner i want to go it on all alone another could be with a partner and then what might a deal structure be that yielded the same outcome and how confident are we uh in achieving that usually in a shorter time frame so I think it's it's really worth it to kind of uh, dig dig a little bit deeper than just the way we've always talked about it and the way that so many people think about it. I mean, you know, it does kind of come back to the thing that you talk about a lot, DeWalker, and that's emotion versus logic, you know? I mean, some of these are emotional decisions. Some of them are completely objective and logic-driven. I mean, you want to uh, maybe take a, a quick pass at some of the insights there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if, if for most of our audience members, again, st- step one always is understand you're ready to have a partner and what that means. Again, if you're not, then you know, contact us. Um, but I think you know a lot of our audience members are saying, okay, my business does two million dollars or three million dollars in EBITDA, and if I, you know, if I can just get it to three and a half or four and a half million dollars in EBITDA, I'm, I'll be ready for an exit then. And I think what we have to solve for our, our audience members to be thinking about no matter their journey, at what does the, the the journey look like from where they are today to where they want to be operationally, you know, execution wise, time commitment, you know, making sure that there's minimal disruption in the business to achieve that outcome, and understand you know what the delta looks like, and then from there, also think about what is the if it's all about economics, let's figure out the economics and make sure we get you the 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 the, uh, 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 the outcome there. If it's about fulfilling a vision and making sure you get to that outcome, absolutely understand, and we're happy to help you in the consulting side to help you understand that outcome. But it's also important to understand, you know, you know, are we are we always moving the puck forward? And there's a book, parent, that when we started our partnership, we read called Built to Sell. Um, and that's a very impactful book. If you guys have not read that book, uh, please read that book. I don't know the author on that, um, but it's, it's, an, it's, it's an important book to kind of set a flag in the future and say, once I get to that outcome, uh, I'm going to go through an exit. or going to go through a partner, I'm going to find the next process. And I would ask all the audience members to kind of figure out what that number is for them. Uh, and if not, call us. We're happy to help you understand what that means for you. We talked in our previous podcast about how we work with the client to understand their wealth's position, their financial planning position. We're not CFPs uh, uh, out there, but we're able to economically model out a lot of our clients' uh, expenses, personal and professional, and give them an economic waterfall, short-term and long-term for them to understand why they are building what they're building and should they stay or should they go, right? Should they continue to build a business or should they uh, take the exit position now we have significant um um calls coming in right now as far as looking for new target acquisitions you know one of the things that is happening in the market and i think this is a reflection of the last you know uh, uh few years is there is more uh, the demand in there is still the same you know the supply is is uh is lower in 2000 uh, end of 22 going into 23 than it was in 2021 going to 2022 so there is that the other forces that are playing in the market is this rising rate market and that's going to impact how valuations are looked at up and down the spectrum i think the 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 clients that will be successful is you know that are looking at how do those deals get structured in a way where the buyer's leverage position is protected on, and they're still able to, you know, provide premium valuation, work with their lenders, not have a default in the lender position, and then lastly, <clears throat> um, you know, just, you know, from a sell side lens, get the best valuation out there. And I think I said, you know, we said on our last uh, podcast, you know, for two thousand twenty-two, you know, our average multiple is well in excess of nine, and I think our average weighted multiple was around nine four nine five. You know, don't want to quote me on it, but so. Valuation-wise, we are able to get premium valuation for our clients. I think this still comes down to structure. And going into 2023, structure will mean everything because the rising cost of capital is going to impact institutions up and down the spectrum.
0: Yeah, point point well taken. By the way, for the the audience uh, interested in the book built to sell, uh, the author's name is uh, John, and the last name is Warrillo, W A R R I L O W. If I remember correctly, it it is a cool book. He's written um, a, a couple of different ones, um, and and it's kind of a neat uh, fable on on one of them. But in any event, you know the this whole everything that DeWalker just kind of went through at a high level. Um, uh, which is the framework, if you will, around a discussion um, uh, with a prospective client around their the business they have, the desires they have, outcome expectations, timeframes, wants and needs, life after liquidity, like everything. He kind of just you know went through at a really really high level. We found ourselves uh, having a similar conversation with multiple uh clients and prospective clients and and the calls were taking you know one question led to three questions which populated five more questions um and and you know this 30-minute call ended up typically taking over an hour and a half um, because you end up getting into some pretty heady subject matter that is the entire reason we built a day that we're calling exit planning session. We, you know that the audience knows we do strategic planning sessions for our consulting clients to talk about growth strategy and you know, uh, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats for the, the business in the next five years. This is the same thing, but it's on an exit strategy standpoint. So are you ready to, to move uh, now into a, an exit position and a process? Is there a low-hanging fruit? Uh, what is the number? What is the time frame? Will your number meet your needs um, from a family standpoint? I mean, now not just uh, fulfillment, but actual financial needs. So there's there's a lot of stuff in this, and um, to have the opportunity to spend the better part of a four to six hour day with an advisor digging through all this really no holes barred completely open and honest with one another i think does provide a lot of clarity and and that's probably the reason that we're we're seeing uh, a number of people book days with us uh in early um 2023 to to kind of get thinking through that um nothing bad comes out of a session like that i will tell you um they're always learning points they're always teaching points you all know us really well we get you to think about things in a different way uh, and we try to do it to take confusion out of it and just sort of uh, move back to the logic over emotion standpoint so if this is something that you're you're interested in and digging a little bit deeper figuring out about your business um, where you stand what the opportunities might be. Um, you know, booking a, an exit planning session with us um, uh, is is a great way to start, uh, and you never know where it might lead. We don't either, <laughs> for that matter. Every day is unique, and that's why we do them all one on one with the client. We won't do them in a, a a group session to maintain the confidentiality and the privacy of it. So, if you're interested, we'll uh, we'll link to some things in the show notes where you can book a call with us to find out a little bit more. Love to host you though, um, Walker, With that being said, I mean we covered a lot of things from the top end of the food chain all the way through it at a, at a pretty high level. Any any concluding thoughts from you for our audience today as we wrap up this episode?
1: Um, no, just, you know, first of all, thanks for being in you know, a part of our journey the last uh, year and a half, almost two years now. Uh, hopefully the content we are providing is impactful to you guys. Um, as we go into 2023, I think you're going to start to see us Really, be you know more focused on the market conditions at play in 2023. Talk about that. We will try to be as as uh, real time as possible on them. Um, and as we're seeing these market conditions change, as far as uh, you know, markets being down, and and uh, you know potentially in Q1, Q2, probably Q2 uh, going into some kind of an, uh, a reset. Um, you know, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of detailed content with us, and uh, we're appreciative of everyone being part of our journey with us.
0: I'll second that. We wouldn't be where we are without you. And um, uh, as a side note, uh, a couple of weeks ago, the podcast turned over 30,000 total downloads. Uh, And that's really cool to see because it took us about six months to hit the first 10,000, took us about five months to hit the second 10,000, took us less than four months to hit the third 10,000. And our goal for 2023, uh, is to be at a total of a lifetime total of 100,000 downloads by the end of 2023. So we really appreciate all of you being uh, in the audience on the journey with us. We love hearing from you. We love working with you. We love hosting you. Uh, and and we're wishing everybody the best of success as we start 2023. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today. I'll be right back in a few minutes with some additional thoughts and to wrap up the show. Thanks once again to my partner, DeWalker Sinha, huh, for joining me on the show today. It's always a lot of fun when we can have him on. And as you all would well imagine, for two co-founders of a business uh, that's growing quickly with a lot of demands on it, getting us <laughs> getting us together uh, even over Zoom to record a podcast for an hour uh, can be challenging at times. So we, I don't get to have him on the show nearly enough, um, but I'm always grateful when I do because he provides a tremendous amount of insight. And... I know all of you enjoy hearing from him and not just me on a on a weekly basis. So kudos to uh, DeWalker uh, and thanks very much for um, uh, him being on the show today. Before I wrap up, uh, I want to talk about two things real quick. Um, one, I am really honored to be speaking at an upcoming conference the end of uh uh, the end of January it can be January 20th and 21st. It's called Voices of Dentistry in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, it's a it's a power packed day and a half to possibly two days uh, together. That's not a, a conference that we uh, at Polaris are hosting. I'm speaking there. That's Dr. Mark Costas uh, and a number of industry titans that all have a number of different podcasts. So probably you listen to a number of them. You probably already heard about this. Um, up to this point, but I think it's gonna be a really, really fun conference, very fast paced. Tickets are still available. So if you're looking to get uh, some CE credits punched and you're also uh, forecasting that you're gonna be tired of cold weather uh, and would like to be in Scottsdale, uh, January 20th and 21st, come out and join us for voices of dentistry. I think it'll be a lot of fun. You can see the speaker lineup. You can find out more about the conference itself at voices And I know that you can register there as well. Uh, so look forward to hopefully seeing some of you, uh, out in the audience while we're in Scottsdale ought to be a good time for sure. I think, uh, John Paul and, um, Mark Flock are going to be joining me out there. So we'll have a little Polaris contingent as well. Speaking of little Polaris contingent, we have uh, continued to grow uh, our data and analytics team. A young lady who all of you will get to know soon enough named Dea Duca has uh, joined us um, in the last uh, several weeks or so, I would say. I ought to know her higher date off the top of my head, but I don't. Sorry, Dea. But in any event, we are thrilled to have her on board with us. I think she's going to be a nice compliment um, to the data and analytics team. And all of you know how much of an emphasis we place on data and and analytics. Uh, She comes, Dea comes to us um, from uh, Connecticut and got her Bachelor of Arts at the University of Connecticut in Actuarial Sciences and Mathematics. I think she's a relatively bright individual, you could say, um, graduated on the dean's list. So I'm, I'm pretty sure she is. She spent most of her uh, working life in uh, the insurance industry, um, specifically with uh, HSB and Travelers, uh, to name two uh, brands that you probably all know and love. Uh, and I think she's going to be uh, a real nice complement to some of the banking background that we have on our DNA team. So welcome, Dea, And as I said, you will all get to, to hear from her and get to know her uh, soon enough. Our business continues to grow. Uh, the headcount continues to grow and the number of clients uh, we're fortunate enough to work with uh, continues to grow by leaps and bounds. And we are very grateful for the year uh, that we've closed out for 2022 and are completely thrilled about what 2023 looks like. So looking forward to um, having an opportunity to engage in person with a lot of you. For those that do have questions or comments about the podcast or anything else that's going on here at Polaris, please feel free to drop me a line directly. You can always reach me via email at perrin at com. Thanks so much for being a listener and a subscriber. We'll see you on the next episode.